Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friends are Casey Murray and Molly Tucker. We recorded this last week over Skype, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. Just a quick reminder that I make little music videos every week for this podcast, and I upload them to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Reddit. Other than word of mouth, that's the best way to get the word out about Get Up in the Cool. And, you know, it's great to actually see the performances. So if you're not following Get Up in the Cool in all those places, please do, and share those links around. Even after five years, I believe there are still people who would like to listen to this show but don't know about it yet. Make sure to stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Casey Murray and Molly Tucker. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. So good. 
It's so purdy. <laughs> Thanks. Casey Murray and Molly Tucker, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. What did you just play? What was that? <laughs> we just played Wilbur's March, which is a re- an original tune of ours that we co-wrote. It's the first tune that we co-wrote together, mm-hmm. like, two years ago? Three years ago? Yes. Yeah, I think two years ago. Yeah. Is that common for you, to co-write tunes? Pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was kind of the the only way that we could really share music was... Not the only way, but, like, the way that for us to be creative together was kind of sharing in the writing experience. How do you even do that? <laughs> We were, so we were living in different places for, uh, for like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but Casey, well, it started, Casey sent me an A part to this tune, um, as a present and I heard it and I was like, oh, I got a B part. So I immediately sent it back to her and that was successful enough. So we kept doing that. Usually she'll send me like chords or groove or an A part and I'll put something on top of that hmm. and and sometimes it's right off the bat what we want and sometimes there's a little bit of negotiating and figuring out mm-hmm. like oh I want to write this thing but the chord maybe isn't quite right how can we figure that out mm-hmm. but it was a lot of sending voice memos back and forth and things like that I was going to say in my experience like writing tunes from the banjo and then bringing them to fiddlers mm-hmm. um or to cellists, uh, or to anyone else who's playing any other instrument, it's like, oh, honey, this doesn't work on on this instrument. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, bless your heart for trying this. Uh, So I would imagine that there would be maybe a little bit of, unless you play each other's instruments as well. She plays mine. I definitely don't play hers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, I've been doing a bit more banjo composing these days, and I play in a couple of bands with Molly and another band that has a fiddle player and I teach the same tune to Molly and this other fiddle player and they both come out with completely different versions of playing the tune which is it, it's yeah. interesting interesting just like how they interpret a banjo melody and how that comes out on the fiddle to their ears yeah did you say Wilbur's March as Wilbur's, in the name as in the name uh, did you put a T at the end no <laughs> okay just Wilbur Skype as in Messing like the, the pig from Charlotte's Web. <laughs> Great. And is this named after the pig, specifically? It's not, actually. Okay. It's named after my spider plant, whose name is Wilbur. But I named my spider plant Wilbur, like, not thinking about Charlotte's Web. And then later on realized that it was the perfect name for a spider plant. Hmm. <laughs> what the hell is a spider plant? I've never heard of that before. That sounds awful. <laughs> what is no, it? It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a lovely plant, but they're kind of like invasive in the most lovely way possible. It's like I got this little spider plant as a gift maybe like four years ago, and now I've like it just blossomed into this massive spider plant with like little babies of it sprouting off that I cut off and give to friends and now it's just like this massive thing that I don't have space for my apartment so it lives at my parents house now so (laughs) it's wonderful but massive sounds like it's like a sourdough starter or something (laughs) yeah except for (laughs) you can't eat it um okay 
Thank you for explaining. Um, I mean, here's an, here's another question. If you're writing tunes together, then how do you decide on naming tunes together? <laughs> or do you? Or do you just take turns? Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> That's a really great question. I feel like sometimes it depends on the tune. Like, we either write a tune for a very specific purpose or... Um, a tune will sit unnamed for months until something comes to one of us. We're like, yeah, that, that'll work. Or um, we outsource it to, to folks. Who That's are like, huge. This is a tune we, we really like playing, but we have no idea what to name it. Name it. Honestly, yeah. we've gotten some of our best names from outsourcing our naming process. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to have to like pay them residuals? Or something? Yeah, we'll have to credit them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, something like that. We could take that off the record. Um, <laughs> do you sometimes have the title first and then like, this is the title of a tune and then I need to, okay. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like most people just like a year after they write a tune, they like retroactively apply meaning to it. Uh, and sometimes <laughs> yeah, totally. it's like meaning, like, you know, which is great and interesting, but like, um, I've, when I write tunes, I always think of the title first and like, okay, mm. let's see if I can find a tune to make it work. But I, I haven't met a whole lot of other people who do that. Yeah. Yeah, that I think we do a little bit. bit of both of that. You have your tune list. Yeah. I definitely have like a document on my phone of just like, someone will say something dumb or ridiculous or be- wonderfully beautiful and I just have to write it down because like, that'll make a great tune name someday for a tune that I want to write or a tune that I wrote and don't have a name for yet. Yeah. There's a tune that I wrote that came off of your list that I just felt like I had to write. I think we're going to play it later today, but the tune is Sweat Machine. And good. I think someone was just really hot <laughs> one summer. Will, will we, we be hearing some sort of funk song later? Please? <laughs> is that what's happening? Is that what Sweat Machine is? I wish we were yeah, that, that cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll get as close as we can with folk music. Right. <laughs> Uh, what do you want to play next? Banjo tune? Yeah, we'll play, let's play banjo tune. All right. So one or two tunes. I think I was a little confused. We'll play, we'll play Newcastle. Great, great. Yeah. Do you want to introduce? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this first tune is a tune that I wrote a few summers ago. Um, I've been living in Boston for the past four years and I got my first parking ticket and thankfully my only parking ticket so far. And I felt like I needed to write a banjo tune to commemorate that that moment. So it's called First Parking Ticket. Oh yeah, what's the what's the tune after? Oh, the tune first after is called Newcastle. Um, Great. Which is originally a, a Playford tune, but um, I heard it on a Ruthie Dornfeld album, in which it is very oh Ruthie old old timeified. <laughs> She's great. Yes, cool. totally. Can't wait.
also good. <laughs> All the Thank tunes so you. far have been very good. <laughs> Feel free to ease up <laughs> if you're front loading. Um, wow. You two are really good at seconding for each other. It's really hard <laughs> to do that, to play mm-hmm. not the melody. Especially, yeah. I feel like, in, in old-time music. Yeah. Um, on, those, on those instruments, I think it's hard to, hard to do that because um, at least that tradition is so focused on making as much noise as possible often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And doing it's, it's like maximalist. Uh, where, where did you learn to, to do that? Really and and maybe also just ge- music in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Well, I think you should go. First. Oh, I can yeah. go first. Sure, sure. I, I'll, I'll go. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I guess I could like do a brief summary of just like starting at the beginning. Um, my first instrument actually was the fiddle. Um, I don't really play it anymore, but that was definitely where where it all started for me was my little my little box of Cracker Jack violin. Uh, going to Suzuki pre-twinkle class um, and I was lucky enough to go to a, a community music school that not only had a really strong Suzuki program but also had a really great um, improvisation class and um, that was always part of the lessons and also had twice weekly fiddle classes and lessons that was free and open to students who were there taking private lessons. So all the group classes were just like piled on top as much as you wanted. And so it was like, I got to be steeped in playing with other people. And I think that was a big part of what developed my ear and finding a place for myself to fit in, in a large group of people where I maybe wasn't the one shining through playing melody or taking a solo or anything, but I was there to be a supportive role. But we all had our chance to improvise, take a solo and be the one in the spotlight for a moment. So I think that was a big part of at least finding my musical space was was done that, doing that early on. Um, but later on, I went and studied at Berkeley for four years and hung out with Bruce Molsky and Natalie Haas and Daryl Anger and all those cool people. And so I think that brought my technical side and... Um, vocabulary up to where my my ear was and just like kind of merged the two roads for me at that point and did that in a lovely way that I I appreciate a lot that sounds like a super healthy like musical upbringing yeah community music school where you got improvisation classes yeah I I feel really lucky that that was my my musical childhood what about you Molly as I'll, I'll say first, as a person who's visited this community music school, like, in the past few years, I can also attest to, like, it being such a magical place. Um, and I feel like I've, I've grown just from the short amount of time that I've interacted with it and been there um, and taught a little bit there. So just, like, outsider's perspective, even just coming in, there's, like, such a magic about that place that is really amazing. Um, but... As for myself, uh, I grew up in Southern California outside of L.A. Um, and I grew up like playing classically um, for the most part. But my parents were folkies. Um, 
and they were like really big in the contradance scene and also they they started getting into folk music like in Seattle in the 80s and like my mom picked up banjo and they started dancing a lot and so all of that kind of music was in my ear a lot growing up um and I also somehow they brought to my attention a lot of like New England contradance music that for some reason I just really latched onto as a teenager and listened to all the time um and so yeah a lot of that music was in my ear and I was I was starting to learn it um but I didn't really have a huge community around it like I played music a little with my my family and played it contra dances here and there and and things like that yeah is there like a contra scene in southern california is um all the dances were kind of far from where i was so it was hard to go to them regularly um and yeah they i think they're lovely um but it was hard to get i think especially because it's so spread out it was hard to feel like i was a feel a sense of community um in them and so i like went to them and, and enjoyed them but I don't feel like I had a great like folk community until yeah. I went to Oberlin and met a lot of folkies and started really playing with people all the time, like the same people. Um, and I feel like that was really huge for me when I started to pull together all the tunes that I had learned in various times and locations and, and was able to be like, okay, these are the tunes I know and these are people I can play them with all the time. And we played contradances every month and so we were always just trying to figure out how to play together how to keep it interesting and so I think that was really huge for me in like getting to play all the time not just listen and and learn tunes along the way um yeah and then we met and started playing tunes I think I think I've learned a lot just from playing with you too like especially about like rhythm and backup and stuff I Mm -hmm. feel like like slowly has been uh, mm-hmm. invading my consciousness or mm-hmm. my subconscious, you know, mind. And, and so I think that's been really cool for me mm-hmm. to be able to have this project too. Um, yeah. in 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 addition to all the people that I got to play with at Oberlin that like really sort of got me in that direction. Yeah. And that first tune, I remember you two were just like sort of trading back and forth. And when you were seconding Molly, I, I often thought, Wow, this is like this. This is pitched up cello vocabulary. Sometimes, <laughs> like it feels like an idea that a cellist would have, like, or like someone who plays with a cellist a lot would have. I like all of my friends are cellists. It's ridiculous. Like I, I feel like I just surround myself like with cellists. So <laughs> makes a lot of sense that that would come through. <laughs> They're often. Uh, a neat people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're great. We can be a good hang. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you want to play next? We're going to sing. Yes, we're going to sing. And we're going to bring out the guitar. Uh, yeah, we're going to do Green Grows Laurel. Good. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> Green 
What a bummer of a song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that last verse, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I was curious about... I don't know... I mean, it is a folk song, right? It's like... A, mm-hmm. People don't know who wrote it. I think it's like an English folk song. I've tried to figure out who wrote who, who wrote it, and I wasn't able to figure it out I guess I could probably try again and look deeper but um I learned it like I came to know of it through like the Bruce Molsky record where he sings it Mm. but um but yeah I think it's like English of origin and maybe has lots of verse options and you know how these things go (laughs) yeah I I was curious about I was curious about the, the pronouns in there right. because I've heard yeah. the pronouns flipped and obviously in a lot of folk traditions the the performer of the song is not necessarily trying to flip a pronoun in order to like it's all it's sometimes it can be a bit hairy to to tell what exact what kind of story I'm, I'm specifically hearing <laughs> right right yeah totally which is I think maybe part of the reason why I love singing it so much mm-hmm. is like I mean I, like, learned it from Bruce singing it, but, like, it's kind of fun to be, like, a queer person singing this, mm-hmm. uh, and and it, it feels like it fits, mm-hmm. like, not that, I mean, it's kind of funny, because it's such a sad song, and <laughs> I don't at all mean that about you, but, <laughs> but it still feels like this kind of, like, uh, both pining and also kind of queer resistance at the same time Mm -hmm. and it's fun i like that (laughs) yeah uh i like that a lot too and it it also seems like it's it's making the statement at the end which is just like okay let me be clear i (laughs) (laughs) this is where i stand on on sexual politics etc uh and patriarchy or what what have you but also in the context of the song it's like I mean, it, I can't tell if the the speaker is talking about the the third person as, or or the second person, as someone who has specifically let them down. Yeah. Uh, like on purpose, or like was unfaithful, or what? Um, there's just like a lot to chew on there. There is, yeah. Regardless I mean, I could of totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. I feel like I I totally first read it as like. A dude gets his heart broken, and then it's like, I get it, dudes are the worst. Right. <laughs> so you play multiple traditions, both of you. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly familiar with the old-time tradition, and people often in that tradition kind of, like, stay in that lane, and they just forever just sort of, like... Fall, fall deeper and deeper into the obscurity of like American old time music and stuff. Um, so, but once I moved out to the West Coast, I started meeting a lot more like contra folks, mm-hmm. and it seems like that is a, a much more um, a much more of like flirtatious uh, 
tradition <laughs> in terms of playing multiple traditions. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was wondering if you could like speak to that and maybe if there's some people listening who aren't familiar with what contra dancing is and how one chooses music for contra dancing. I'm under the impression that sometimes that music is just EDM. Uh, and so yes. like, mm-hmm. it seems like it's, it's a, a tradition that is, if not less precious about certain things than old time music, maybe precious about different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was curious if you could speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it feels like there's like two very like strong sides of people's desire for what they want contra dance to be. And there's like the camp of like, uh, super traditional. I only want to hear the, the old chestnuts and the old new England tunes that Bob McQuillan wrote or Rodney Miller and stuff like that. Um, but then there's like the other camp of if it's 32 bars long and somewhere between 110 and 120 BPMs, bring it on. So, and and like everything in between. Um, I think that does create a lot of people like definitely like myself who, uh, like listen to a lot of country dance music and play country dances and just like fall in love with every tradition that they come across. At least that happens to me. Like sometimes I feel bad about it because I really want, sometimes I want to just like choose and go down the rabbit holes and feel like I know a lot. Settle down. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I haven't. Um, I mean, there's some that I gravitate, gravitate to more than others. And I think, that is really often the case with, um, in the, in the country dance world. I think there are like some musicians or bands that have a couple different genres that they pull from, um, and some that are all in one and some that are all over the place. Um, and I, so I think generally I, like, I feel like maybe the most at home with like New England music and Celtic music, but I, love everything and it's like kind of a problem (laughs) um (laughs) but um yeah I do think it's really interesting and also like the kinds of tunes that you you play for dancing like you you yeah you play it pretty fast um and so like things that are normally really highly ornamented um kind of get taken down a little bit so that they can be played really fast for like 10 minutes straight um, so it's also interesting to see like what contra dance music does to different traditions. Um, mm-hmm. Like I feel like Irish tunes in particular, like you can learn a tune in a way that you might play it for a contra dance, and you can learn a tune in a way you might play it for a session, and it would sound pretty different. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I think also like another part of it is like who's playing backup too. Like you could be playing like all your Scandinavian and Irish tunes, but your backup players, guitar, or like a, an old-time guitar player, so they're going to be playing boom check along to your freaking Irish tunes. And, <laughs> and But that's fine. Yeah, as long as you're going between 110 and 120. Right. I mean, some would argue that it's not, but, like, it yeah. is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, for, at least for dancers, like, it gets yeah. the job done. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You might not get hired again, but you did You did what you were paid to do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how much boomchuck I've heard in Contra. Yeah, I mean, it. there's a there's a time and place for it, usually when there's, like, the one the one or two square dances that happen an evening, or a the really token silly square dance. dances. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. I like how you're like, 
the silly dance or the <laughs> or the square dance, you know? Yeah, that, I mean, that's what callers tell us is like they'll either show us the card or they'll give us descriptor words. So like, we want your boom checky old timey old timey set, <laughs> set. and it's like okay, I guess they'll play old time. Or you can take, like, whatever they're saying. Really... <laughs> right. Yeah. You can take whatever they're saying super literally or just interpret it to the best of your ability on what's your, in your set list. Hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, it seems like a really interesting tradition because it seems to encourage a really particular um, type of tune collecting and repertoire building and... It's like uh, most contradance like musicians that I know are contradance musicians because they play they play for contradances, you know, mm-hmm. and like and it's like a gig specifically, and mm-hmm. uh, it seems like it encourages a really specific type of musicianship that I don't necessarily see from a vast majority of old time musicians because most old-time musicians do not play for square dances. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm setting up these, like, dichotomies, and I don't necessarily know if they're helpful or not, but um, <laughs> I guess it's just interesting that contradance playing, because it seems like it's sort of in between... Uh, it's like music is craft, but it's also a performance... Mm-hmm. At the same time, yeah, yeah. You you have an album coming out. We do, and I'm assuming there's going to be a mixture of all of these things on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. How yeah. did how did you go about making this album? Deciding what was going to be on it, etc. Yeah. Well, uh, we uh, most of the stuff on the album is original. Um, co-written mostly co-written some individually written um, and then a few other trad tunes or sort of contemporary written folk tunes um, and and most of the tunes on there were ones that we like had written in the past two years um, but hadn't really had a chance to play together um, and it, it really like it really was a pandemic album because mm-hmm. like as soon as everything hit we potted up and we got to play all of all of our stuff together and like finally get to work things out and make arrangements and um and like sit with this music and play it a lot and play Mm -hmm. it for people in weird settings but like still playing it for people um yeah yeah it was like we absolutely none. This album would de- absolutely not, or any of this music would not be in existence had there not been a pandemic. Because I would be on the road, you'd be in grad school on the road. We'd hardly see each other, and so, um, yeah, we just had a chance to write and arrange and do all the things that we'd never done before, and it was kind of exciting to have a chance to do that. And it it felt like we needed to like write it down and like little put in a little a little picture frame just to to say it happened and this is something we are proud of and love doing together where did you meet (laughs) we met through a mutual friend yeah my 
my childhood best friend who I knew since I was three ended up studying at Oberlin and we had the same violin professor and she always told me about Casey she's like my best friend plays the cello she wants to play contra dance cello like you gotta meet her and I was like okay and then we met yeah (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you're like oh oh playing music together this is fun this feels Mm -hmm. good yeah and yeah how long ago was this we met maybe oh, we met like five years a ago, ago actually. but never like started playing together regularly until about three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like if I'm getting this right, like maybe your like specific collaboration on like making performance oriented music, things that would work on an album uh, is how new is that new just within the pandemic or do you did you have seasons of getting together to do that kind of thing before or were you just like playing contra gigs together like we had like one gig before I think this. It, was, it was kind of like okay. a little a, it was like a little <laughs> bit of like grab as we can like we right. played some random contra dances together and we like yeah. played a random duo gig but it wasn't like really intentional it's like we're starting a duo band but then as we started writing more together before the pandemic, it was like, cool, we have like this fun little material, it'd be cool to do something with someday. But then like the pandemic came, we're like, all right, the only way to make money is online gigs. Here we go. <laughs> make a set list. But Cool. I guess I was just wondering how new the um the the name Casey Murray and Mo- and Molly Tucker as mm. as a duo, it's... as a thing that you would see on a bill is. Yeah. It's pretty new. Yeah, probably this year. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 Very exciting. I, like, I mean, it's been a really weird year for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But, man, like, I feel really lucky that we were able to play together and play lots of, like, strange virtual gigs that were, like, strangely more wonderful than I expected them to be. Right. Yeah. Like, I, when I get to play for real people again, like, wow, that will be great. Yeah. Um, but I think I underestimated how much you could maintain community on the internet with music. So that was nice to discover. I I was happy to feel that way as well mm-hmm. and surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do one more tune or song and then talk about where to go to get your album. Or if you're listening to this right when it comes out where to go to pre-order your album, help you reach your stretch goals. Walnut? Sure, sure. This is Walnut Home. Thank you. 
Also an original. That's Casey's. Yeah, I, I, this is my pandemic banjo that I had made, um, and everyone's telling me I need to get a better banjo because I was just playing on the shitty flea market banjo that sounded like absolute crap. So it was my pandemic splurge to finally buy a ban banjo, and it's made out of walnut, so it was fitting to name the first tune I wrote on it "Walnut Home." Hmm. It's also perfect. I'm so, this is my favorite anecdote. Casey's allergic to walnuts, so she cannot eat them. <laughs> but she has a walnut banjo, so it feels very poetic that like this is the one way that she can enjoy walnuts, and it's in a very beautiful way. Yes. Molly, that's really nice. <laughs> that, that's a great point. I'm Thank glad you. you brought that up. <laughs> Thank you. It's usually my, my tuning tidbit. <laughs> so how do people find and buy and support your music and stay up to date with everything you're doing and as things start to open back up uh, see you maybe play some live music at some point etc yeah well we have a kickstarter going on now um, and we made our goal which we feel really really grateful for um, and we do have a stretch goal um, that's going until May 15th so you can pre-order the album at our Kickstarter. Got other fun things. You can also get other great things. Yeah. I'm going to be yeah. doing a lot of knitting this summer. A lot of knitting perks to, to cool. hand out. That's great. About. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't stream a, a knitted thing. No. No. You absolutely cannot. No. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and we're also on Facebook. Casey Murray and Molly Tucker. And you've got a website. Yeah, I've got a website. You can sign up for a mailing list to know when when the album drops and when we'll be seeing your faces in real life and stuff like that. Yeah. com. It's a good, good place to find out those things. Great. I'll put all of those things in the show notes. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much for giving up a part of your Friday evening 
I would hang pleasure. out with me, yeah. play me tunes. Yeah. This is it's great. It's been absolutely lovely. It really has been. Yeah. Thanks for having us. What do you want to do for the last one? We were thinking of doing a great uh, Russ Bramberg tune, Through the Gates. Old great. Of ours. I think I know this one. Awesome. Good. <laughs> Pre-order Casey Murray and Molly Tucker's new album on Kickstarter. I put a link in the show notes. Also linked there is their Facebook page and Casey's website, where you can sign up for their mailing list. So I can follow them and get their emails, so you'll be among the first to hear Casey Murray and Molly Tucker news. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend, or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. And if you're able... Please help fund Get Up in the Cool by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional claw hammer banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. <laughs>